Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to um, open up our word and be able to, to unpack it. Pastor Andrew is, uh, has challenged us to bring our Bibles to church, which my wife is very happy about because I put my Bible in her purse. So, uh, so Pastor Andrew said that for all the women, we're paying for chiropractors. That's not a true statement. That's not true at all. So that was the truth. Um, if you want to turn with me to Romans 8, 14 through 17, that's the text we're going to be looking at today. Um, but I wonder if there's ever been a time that you have walked into a situation where you do not have all the information. And then after that situation, realizing that you really wish that you had known that information that you did not know. For me, I remember uh, I was about 20 years old and I, I needed a, a bed frame because I, had, I was living in someone's house and they had opened up their house, but they didn't have a, a bed frame. So I, I borrowed this lady's bed frame who worked on staff and she was super nice about it. And so for the year I used it, it was great. And then I moved into my own house. I mean, my friends and I, we moved into our own house, which, oh man, it was such a liberating and freeing thing. I never had done it before. And, and it was, I learned so much like, Places don't come with shower curtains. You have to actually buy those. So that was a lesson. But anyway, um, and so here we are, and we are moving into this, to this new place, and I'm like, oh, man, bed frames are so old. I'm just going to put my mattress on the floor. Like, I'm going to be so cool. Um, and so I moved the bed frame into the loading dock of the church. And then, I don't know, in all my excitement, totally forgot about the bed frame. Just didn't even have a thought about it again until she came to my office about three, five months later and said, hey, are you still using that bed frame I gave you over a year ago? Because I would really love to have it back if not. And I, I didn't miss a beat and said, yeah, I'll totally bring it over to you. So then, no word of a lie, got up, ran to the loading dock, found, found, found the loading dock, opened the door, and there is nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. So I go to her office like, like a, a poor dog that's been whipped, like just walk with my tail between my legs. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I misplaced it. I put it in the loading dock, totally forgot about it until you asked me about it. I'm so sorry. Now, something you know about me is I don't do well with awkward situations. I like to lighten the mood, you know, just kind of just, just make a joke here and there. What could ever go wrong with that? And so she's just pausing. She's trying to hold back. I don't know what she was going to do. But, and in that space, I, I said, well, at least it isn't like an heirloom or something, right? Like that would be terrible. And her head's down and she looks at me with daggers and goes, actually, it was my great-grandmother's. And at that moment, I'm like, I'm dead inside. <laughs> right? Like, and, and luckily, she was such a great lady. She just, she just played it off. It's really sad, though, because that was probably like 12 years ago. And ev whenever we go to Florida and I see her, I'm like sheepish again. <laughs> like, I turn into like this little boy. I'm so, I'm like, 
like so embarrassed. But, but isn't it true that we've all been in those situations where we walk into something and we don't have all the information? And we do something, we say something, we, we, we somehow walk out realizing that, man, I really could have benefited from some of that information. And I wonder if, if that is not how we walk out our spiritual lives sometimes. Like sometimes we, we don't have all the information, we don't necessarily have what we need to have, and so we don't necessarily walk in the fullness that God has for us. Not because we don't have it, but because we don't understand or we haven't experienced the fullness yet. And that topic, that is so true in our lives when we talk about this. Right? Like we all know as believers, or we have an idea that there should be some sort of spiritual authority in our lives. Right? Is that true? Like we know, like we look at the lives of Jesus and the apostles and we know that our lives should look something like that. But if I'm honest, my Mondays look very ordinary. Like I am telling you, this was a very ordinary week. And I'm like, God, person, how does it play out in my life? When I'm just an ordinary person, where does spiritual authority play out? And so let's turn to Romans 8. 14 through 17, and let's paint the picture a little bit. Paul the Apostle is writing this letter to a church he hasn't visited yet, and he is writing this letter instead of a visit, because he can't get there yet. The Holy Spirit won't let him go there yet. And so he wants, he wants to write it to a church in Rome in the first century that is full of mainly Gentiles, but, but it does have a strong population of Jewish believers, believing that Jesus Christ is their Savior, and they are having this really hard time figuring out how they coexist. You know, some of the old laws, which ones play out. And so Paul is writing this whole letter to solve this out. And what we jump into in, in chapter 8 is him talking about the old life and talking about the new life. And the synopsis of it is this. Romans is saying, hey, look, in Christ, you, have, you are no different. You are both saved by grace, transformed by the cross. And so if you're here and you, and you, need, you need a message to know that, that, that the situation you're in does not dictate who you are, I need you to know, the Bible needs us to know, Paul is telling us that we are not what we used to be. We are not the things in our past. Christ is the truth and he defines us. And so let's look at the verse today. Verse 14, we're going to start in. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I'm reading from the NIV. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought you adoption to sonship. And by him, who, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we our children, God's children. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Man, that is probably one of the most packed verses that we could talk about. I mean, we could probably do a, a four-week series on just this, this verse. And so what are we talking about? What is Paul talking about when, he, when we are engaging in spiritual authority? What is he saying? 
He's saying one thing. So if you're taking notes, just write this one thing. He is saying this, change your perspective. I love this story. I was in this service and this pastor told me, he was talking about perspective and he said, you know, I took my son, he was dying to go to Disney World. And he just, he wanted to go to Disney World so, so bad. And so I finally took him there. He was aged, the right age, and he was just so excited. And then we were in line and like any kid, he, was, he must have been eight or 10, he just started to whine. Like no other parents know that, right? Like we don't know what that is like. Um, but he just whined and he's like, what? Why are you whining? Like, we're in the happiest place on earth. Be happy. Okay, be happy. And it's like his favorite ride. He was so excited about going. The line was a little long, but he's like, it's not that bad. Why are you whining? And, he's, and then he did the dad thing, right? Like, it's okay, buddy. You know, you try the encouragement way first. You're like, okay, buddy, it's all right. Just, we, we're almost there, bud. We're almost there. And he said it didn't work. And he just kept on whining and getting really, really upset. And then he tried the firm father hand. Listen, but we will leave this line. We will leave this line if you don't stop. Didn't work. He started getting worse. And then he said he knelt down. And his perspective changed. And he's in a line with all these adults. And he's like, Oh, I see what you see. This is not so encouraging. You can't see anything. You just see, if you've ever been, it's like line on line. It's just a bunch of people. And he's like, oh. He said the moment he put his son on his shoulders and gave him the perspective of the father, things changed. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, when we're talking about spiritual authority, we need to change our perspective because if you are like me, here's what you do. You think about spiritual authority like I'm some bad man who walks in like spiritual bad man, like watch out devil. Here I am. Like who can I just blast today? Like, oh, you giving me attitude? No, Lord, I need a parking spot out. Like we think of it in that way, right? Like like, that's how we think it out, but that's not. Paul's saying there's, there's so much more to it. Change your perspective, and he gives us three things that he wants to change. And this is exactly, I love it, this is exactly what he's talking about and that we've been talking about for a while, that he says in Romans 12 too, that we be transformed like, like, like we can just make it happen, right? Like somehow, you know, let's transform our perspective or let's change our mind. Like that's, who hasn't thought of that? Wow. Thank you, Pastor Alex. I'm going to go home and I'm just going to change my perspective. So when my kids yell, I'm not going to be upset anymore. Somebody cuts me off on the way to work. I'm just going to be happy about it. Oh, this is great. I never thought about changing my perspective. But Paul, he tells us something that we actually have to depend on God for these things. And so when we're talking about having a transformed mind, Please, the church has done such a disservice where we have made it out to be like, if you just do the right things, your mind will be transformed. And yes, there are disciplines. I love it. One pastor this week was talking to us. He said, you can't be a disciple without disciplines. You have to have dis disciplines in your life to be a follower, a disciple. I love that. But so we have to do the right things, but it's, it's not just something we can conjure up. And I think for so long as Christians, we thought like, if I just make it hard enough or I just try, 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 I'll be happier. I'll be nicer. I'll be, no, no, no. I'll look different. This is a, this is a big difference. We're going from a worldly perspective to a heavenly 
perspective. We're going from seeing things as ordinary to thinking as supernatural. And the Holy Spirit does this work in us. And so when we're talking about changing perspectives, we're talking about Holy Spirit transform my mind. By the renewing of my mind, we, we get into his word. We ask the Holy Spirit to change us. And so the three things that Paul is talking about changing is the first is this. He says it, listen to this. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The first thing is this, you are not a slave. You are not a slave. I know, right? We, these are all things that we sing about. I want to tell you today, this is a very simple message. Most of us will already know this stuff. It's that we need the changed perspective. We need the transformed mind. We need Holy Spirit, come, give me heaven's perspective when all I see is earth around me. Help me to see through your eyes. And so we are not slaves. Our perspective needs to change on how we see ourselves. We need to see ourselves not in our eyes, but through the cross. See, the cross has transformed us. I love this. In Galatians 5.1, it says this. Paul's writing. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, when he talks about yoke, um, I didn't know this. It's not an egg. It's a yoke like they put on cattle to, to till the ground like farmers. Not that I'm a farmer at all, but that's, they're saying don't be yoked again into slavery, into sin. So what do we do? Do we just, is this just like positive thinking? Like is Christianity just about thinking positively and then it will happen to us? No, no, no. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 6 that, that it's such a deeper work than this. You know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Jesus Christ, that's the only way. The only way we are transformed. But again, this is all basic Christian belief, right? Except for sometimes it's hard for us to go Knowledge to experience. And so let me just ask you. Like, let's just get real. Are there sins in your life that you feel like are bondage? And if you were to be honest, you would say, man, I feel like a slave to this because I've promised God 150 times that I will never do it again. I've laid it down before and then I go back into it. The good news is that it's not in our strength. It's not in us just trying harder, but it's found in Jesus Christ and him telling us that we are not Slaves, and then walking out in that. I love it because the picture of, of it is this. Um, it's the picture of the children of Israel. They're slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And then God shows up through Moses and he frees them. 
And this is the picture Paul's trying to give us, that we are actually freed out of slavery, walking to freedom. They are given freedom. They are given not only freedom from bondage, but they're given land as their own. They are, God is having to do this work in them. He's having to reprogram them, right? This is a great foreshadowing for us. God is actually reprogramming us. We are not defined by our failures and our sin, right? Like, let's be honest. So much of our lives are defined by what we're hiding from the people, even in church. God says, hey, children of Israel, come with me. I'm going to reprogram you. You think as slaves, even when hardship comes, you want to go back because you think it's the right, it's the only way to live. But I have to reprogram you. This is how we go. We think we have to go back to slavery because it's the only way we know how to cope with the life, the failure, the hurt in our lives. We go back to slavery. He says, no, no, no. Let me reprogram you. And this won't take 40 years. This will take a moment with Jesus Christ. A moment with Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're carrying heavy baggage and you said, oh man, if people would just know, I don't even know if I would be accepted here. I need you to know Jesus knows and he loves that you're here. And he wants you to change your perspective. You are not in bondage, but you are in freedom, not of your own right, but of Christ. And when we live under that cross, we are free. And it's so cool because he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop like he did with the children of Israel where he says, hey, look, I'm going to move you from slavery and I'm going to give you your own land and you're going to be free people. He doesn't end there with us. He says, not only are you going to be free, but let me tell you who you are. You're not just landowners. You happen to be my sons. That is that should define our spiritual authority. Not our, that we're not just slaves, we're not just free, but we are sons. And so let's, let's look at what Paul says in this passage. So again, he says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. I love this word fear because it actually means terror. And that's what people, that's what slaves lived with, with their masters. In, re, in regards to their masters, they lived in terror means like running away from, they're, they're scared of. It's not like when, when the Bible talks about the, living in the fear of the Lord. This is terror. He says, again, rather, rather. So what you just heard, you are to live like this. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption in sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I love this contrast that he does because he, in the Roman world, he makes a statement that we don't necessarily get because slavery isn't really commonplace that we see all the time. We don't see it a lot in our lives. We don't, but you need to, that Ro, in Roman culture, they believe that up to 25% of the population in Rome, the city, was slaves. And that a wealthy man could have a household of 5,000 or 500 slaves. And, this, and Caesar was believed to have at his call 20,000 slaves. So when he talks about slavery, it's not like this concept that we think is so far off and we don't necessarily connect with it. 
But what, what they see is they understand. Because remember, the Bible is written by an actual person. The Holy Spirit is speaking through that person to actual people. I think sometimes when we read it, we just like, we forget that concept that these are actual church people. Paul, when they're reading this letter, it's like we get together and they're reading the words of Paul and he's teaching them. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, you understand slavery and I need you to know that you're not a slave. Slaves by law were property. That's it. Like, like cattle or like any animal, or like any possession that the master owned, he could do what he wanted with that person all the way up to murder. And there would be no law against it. This is what Paul uses. The Holy Spirit speaks through Paul and says, no, 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 you're not that, you're not possession. You actually are a son. And I know, right? Because it's like, whoa, that's a little offensive. Like, why not, why not, why a son? Why not a, a daughter or... The con- we have to remember, it's written to people. And in that con- context, the, the son was, was more valued than daughters. Not anymore, praise the Lord. We, we have two daughters, two, soon to be three. Woo! Um, and, so, and so that's not the context we live in, but it's the context they live in. So what, what Paul is actually saying is that there's, there's amazing value in the fact that I'm saying you're not just you're not a slave anymore. You're not just a possession of God. You're not just in his family, but you are the prized possession, the cherished son. Son had a higher value. And then he says this, it's really cool. He says, you are adopted. And again, this concept in our culture is one that's beautiful, right? All of us know people who have adopted someone. It's so beautiful. In the Roman culture, it was very interesting. It was, it was quite difficult and costly to adopt children. And so what they would do is um, they had to, had to go through a number of different things. Um, they had this law, actually, that the fathers, dads, you'll love this. The fathers had absolute power in their house. Let's bring back some of that law, right, Mark? <laughs> Right, like they had absolute, they had absolute power in their house. No one could question them, even so that their son never came of age to them. They always had legal right to choose for their son, no matter what age. Really interesting. But because of this law, it made it incredibly difficult for anyone to adopt a son. Because the dad had legal right for them for the rest of their lives. So they, they actually had to make it incredibly difficult and, and very legal to get through it. So here's what they did. They would go before a magistrate and they would have seven witnesses. Now you only needed two to prove that someone committed a crime, but you needed seven to adopt someone. Interesting. And so they go before it with their seven and the father, the birth father and the adopted father would have this interaction where before the magistrate, the, the father would the adoptive father would go pay for the son. He would come with him and they would do this twice. And when they did this twice, the father came back and paid the adopted father back and took his son back. But the third time, the adopted father went there, paid, brought him back, and the father left. Signifying this child, he is, he is, he is now my family. He is now in my family, actually as much as blood. So much so that if I have sons after him, 
I can't just say, oh, actually, you're not my full heir. This is my first heir. Because in that time, the firstborn son had the, most, had the most authority and influence. And so what he said was this. It's actually he's going to inherit everything. And the other biological sons have no right to usurp him. Isn't this interesting? And then it had to go before the Senate and it had to be approved. This is the context that Paul is writing to us saying, hey, just so you, just in case you wonder if you're important to God, this is what he's willing to go through. He says, he's willing to go through the cross, not just to bring you to freedom, to give you your own freedom, but actually to adopt you into his family, into his, his family as children. Let's just, let's just not like make this Christianese and be like, yes, amen. But let's actually bring it down to, to, to real life. What would our lives look like? Think about your everyday life. If you saw yourself knowing that God, the creator of heaven and earth, looked at you as you look at your son or as you look at your child or... As, as a loving father looks at their cherished child. How would that change how we pray? How would, that, how would that change how we love others? Right, like think of those moments where you are just in your zone, where you feel loved, you feel cared for, and it's not like other people can impact that. You just want to love people. That's how we could live. We could live out of that perfect love. It would be amazing. Oh, but how great is this, that he actually tells us that this is not just where it ends. You're not, you're not just free from slavery. You're not just a son. But actually what happens is, if you're a son, what does that make God to you? He's your father. And I know we know this, right? Like, oh, the Trinity, Father God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Mm, amen. That's good. No, no, no. It says that he's our father. I love this, and I'll close with this. It says that, he, they use this word um, in the verse. It says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now there's some controversy over what this word Abba means. I love it. I heard a lot of pastors and a lot of theologians think it means this, Daddy. Oh man, how sweet is that when, when your kid um, I was standing here, didn't think my kids were coming. They were sick. My, my daughter comes in and is like, Daddy! Arms up. Like, oh man, there, there's literally nothing better. Except for when you get to hug your wife, obviously. Um, right? Like there, there is just that moment where a, a, a son, a child, puts their hands up and says, Daddy. But then there's also some that believe that, I've heard, I've heard a pastor and a theologian that says, um, no, 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 that, that word is actually, it's simpler. It's like when the first time your kid says, dada. That's how we should look at it. And we should look at our relationship with, with our, our heavenly father like that. That's how dependent we are of him. Like when, you're, when your kid for the first time raises his hand and actually says that, you're like, did he say that? Oh, did she say that? Oh. Like 
that's what he says. But then another, another uh, a group of conservative theologians say, no, that's, that's irreverent, that's not right. We shouldn't, we shouldn't think of it like that. We should actually think of it with more honor and more respect. There's that word Abba is actually, it should be interpreted in how the Jewish people speak to their father with such respect and intimacy intimacy and respect it, it's in the in that word they only they only say it to their dad and I think you know sometimes we get too caught up in what exactly I think the important thing is this Paul uses a word by the Holy Spirit that we only use for an intimate relationship with our father he's saying this to us church are not just a son, but he is your father. He is your father and he loves you. I remember for me, um, this, this has deep, deep meaning. I grew up and my dad was, he didn't live with us. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was really young. And so I just, I really had this hard time because my dad tried to be a good dad, but he just had a lot going on. And so there'd be promises that he made that he didn't, he didn't come through with, and it would hurt me deeply. And I remember having this difficult time with this concept of father. Like this intimate father that I can trust and I can love, and he, he loves me with this kind of overwhelming love. I remember I went to this, I went to this uh, retreat, and they did this one teaching on experiencing the father's love. And I don't remember the teaching because I zoned out. I was a teenager. But I, I remember that they had this time of response. He said, if you want to experience the Father's love, really, like David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like actually experience the Father's love. I want you to come up and raise your hands and just, and just wait on the Lord. to do it. And I remember for the first time feeling, feeling the arms of my heavenly father. And I'm not, I get it, right? Because that sounds like, oh, you're on stage, you're a pastor. Like that's kind of one of those kooky, emotional. I'm, I'm not that person. And I remember standing there and like it was a real person, I opened my eyes because I thought someone just started to hug me, which isn't really my space. I, like that um, and so I opened my eyes and there was there was no one there was somebody behind me praying but no one was hugging me and it was the Holy Spirit hugging me and I, and, and I was still pretty skeptical again and I and I just I was like Holy Spirit I want to know the Father's love and I love this picture that he gave me I'll never forget it like it was just ingrained in me I remember playing by myself out of, outside of my house in my, in my awesome rain boots, jumping in the rain. I must have been five or six, all by myself. And he said, although you felt alone for so many times, I need you to know that I was there watching you. I was your dad. Guys, we ever hope to have spiritual authority. It doesn't come from us revving ourselves up 
It comes from us realizing who we are in Christ and who we are and the fact that when we're in broken moments, when we're in the hospital rooms, when we are all alone, when we don't have answers for the things we're going through, that we know that God is good and he's not just good, but he is our, your father and he's not left you but he looks at you like I would look at my children and even more he would look at you with love and hold you in his arms this if we can grab this we can live out spiritual authority like we've never had before because we won't live out of brokenness or slavery but we'll live out of love and perfect love casts out all fear We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.